As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I'm thrilled as always to be joined by my friend and colleague Michael Felder from Stadium to break down all the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. If you enjoyed this podcast, you probably enjoy the other shows on this very podcast feed. So be sure to subscribe, rate, and review The Andy Staples Show and Friends. Five stars, because much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits, we want to make an immediate impact. And Felder, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, whatever this weird in-between phase is, I wish it upon you. Yeah, listen, I I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Obviously, I hope you have a Happy New Year. I am, I'm, I'm back in the weeds, like I'm ready to rock and roll, let's go. Well, you, you, I feel like you had a pre-Christmas Christmas and then Christmas was like smaller. So you're, you're, you're already in 2022. Yeah. I'm I, listen, we did a small three person Christmas. It was nice. It was me, my wife, my kid, we hung out. It was very easy, nice, uh, versus the travel and the whole pre-Christmas Christmas that you referenced where it was like the whole entire rigmarole that I don't particularly care for with respect to Christmas. So it was not, we, we did that so that when we got back, we didn't have to do that. Well, I, uh, I, I respect it very, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? It was very efficient of you to <laughs> compartmentalize all of those things while the rest of us did it. And because we're in that phase of the year of the calendar where it's very hard to remember what day of the week it is, what time of day it is, what should people be doing? A lot of people are on vacation. It's also been a couple of weeks since we've had college football. So we're going to make this show a CFP cheat sheet for everyone who is actually socializing with their family this week, unlike Felder, (laughs) and or are working or are busy or just kind of forget everything that's been going on with college football because you've been tracking, there's cancellations and other bowls, whatever. But you kind of forgot what's going on with the college football playoff, this is the show for you. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been – I thought we were going to be done with this like a year ago when we were when we were figuring out like who's opting out, who, what team can't play, what's going to happen. And it's it just 
keeps going, and so we'll see what happens next. But, yeah, I love the idea of it as a cheat sheet. I know we're going to get into the playoff, which I'm very excited about because there's so much to get into and so much to talk about. I also love that we're going to talk a little New Year's, which is going to be very fun. So, yeah, that's a, I can I can regale you with, with plenty of New Year's stories as a man who's lived quite a life. We will get to that and how to strategize playoff semifinals on New Year's Eve, which everyone's going to hate again, but they're here in just a minute. But uh, we, we will go through the storylines with each team and each semifinal. But just a rundown, because I'm not sure this has gotten enough attention, but there is a playoff forfeit policy in place. Now, we know that all four teams are on site. Uh-huh. They are practicing in Dallas and Miami, so, so they're there. But just a refresher, um, if one of the semifinals, if a team is unavailable to play, the unavailable team forfeits the game, opponent advances. Um, if two teams in one semifinal can't play, becomes a no contest, the other game becomes, the winner becomes the national champion. Right. So it's kind of like, again, what you need to keep in mind with the, the playoff games is the semifinals have no wiggle room. There's no backup dates. Right. They can't move them. If both of the teams in the championship have issues, they do have a little bit of a sliding scale. They can move that game all the way back to Friday, January 14th. So basically they would have that whole Monday through Friday to make it work. But for now, that's just what you need to know as the backdrop. But all four teams are on site. And, you know, the Athletic, we've got beat writers everywhere tracking who's available, who's not available. Um, But there is a way to deal with forfeits and get yourself into the national championship game or determine a national championship due to forfeited team. So just keep that in the back of your mind as we go through the next few days. Um, the, the semifinals need to happen on the 31st as scheduled because there are no backup dates. So so let's get into the fun well, stuff. I, I was going to oh, say, before, yeah. before we get into the fun stuff, what I was going to say was I think that's an element of this that people don't think about is – when these guys go home, they're just at home. They spent the entire season kind of wrapped into this uh, manufactured ecosystem. And then when you go home, it's kind of a free-for-all. And some guys, you know, maintain protocol or some guys, you know, stick to the rules or some guys are able are able to do this. But we don't know what family everybody's going home to. We don't know what town everybody's going home to. It's a humongous difference between a guy that's going home to – you know, Orange County versus a guy that's going home to, to L.A. County versus a guy that's going home to to Cumberland County in North Carolina. Like, everything is completely different. And so the, th- the interesting part is with these playoff teams, they've worked really hard to keep everyone together because – and that's not the luxury that a lot of the other bowl games have had, which is why we've seen, obviously, issues with some of these other bowl games. And the playoff is really working to keep everything contained – because once you let folks get outside of it, then you start to see these issues and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and that's and again, with, with this stuff too, as we've learned over the last year, like no one is in charge of a uniform policy. So the playoffs deferring to the leagues that have set policies and individual schools. So it's on these schools too to limit outside exposure, keep everyone in contained environments. And they're doing that to try to give their teams a chance to play for a national championship right. with their best players and coaches on the sidelines and able to play. So we will continue to monitor that. There will be lots of updates, uh, I'm sure, especially as um, you know the writers on site finally get to see 
who's available, who who made the trip and, and things like that. But let, let's get into the teams and the games sure. a little bit because, again, it's been a couple weeks since we've seen these teams play. Championship week was, what was that, December 5th? Something yeah, 5th, yeah. 6th, 7th, something like that. So we're that. looking at almost, it's 22 days. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. It's been a minute. So we're going to go through some storylines and, you know, kind of big picture things to, to know about these teams because, again, this is a cheap sheet. And then also individual matchups, individual players, things to spotlight. Sure. So let's start with Cincinnati because they are the David to the sports Goliath. This is the team that broke into the playoff, the first group of five team to ever do it. It is something we were not sure we would ever see in a four-team playoff era that somebody would have a resume and the respect of the selection committee enough to get to this point. And really, it, it took a lot of stars aligning. They had to go undefeated. They had to have Notre Dame on the road on their schedule, and then Notre Dame have the, that be their only loss, finish number five in the country. Desmond Ritter, all these players came back to have a chance to do this after going undefeated in the regular season last year. And that's where we are. Cincinnati is in the playoffs. Cincinnati will face the actual Goliath. That is Alabama. Mm -hmm. But incredible story, and we're finally here. I think they probably feel like they uh, some of the pressure that they were under all season to be perfect maybe has dissipated a little bit. I've, saw, I've seen Luke Fickle talk about that a little bit. Um, but this is a good team, really interesting defense ton of veteran players um, and just an awesome opportunity for the Bearcats. So I think there's a couple things. I, I think the pressure remains whether they want to admit it or not, because if you show up and get blown out, then that lends fuel to the you shouldn't be here fire. Even though so many of the semifinals that we've watched have been blowouts, right? It just it's a very specific thing to like dial in on them for. Um, it's the same with the Pac-12, right? When Washington shows up and they get blown out, the next thing you know, it's just like, oh, you guys shouldn't be here. So I think that's an interesting element to it. But, like, the reality is they took it took them, what, four seasons to get where they wanted to be with 11-2 and two and 11-3 and three and 9-1 and one and then finally going 13-0 to get there. So I think that's important um, for me. And I know you talk storylines for me. I'm looking at this. From, an offense, from a defensive standpoint for Cincinnati, how does their man coverage stress Alabama? If they can get pressure with four and play coverage down the field, and if Sauce, Kobe Bryant, if those guys can cover Alabama's uh, wide receivers down the field, and remember, we're not going to have any Mechie on, in this game. If they can cover them down the field, now you're in business. You're cooking with gas. You throw in Brian Cook. You throw in Deshaun Pace. Deshaun Pace is the guy that can help you try to track, that, track Bryce Young, extend in the play or cover a tight end, I think that's the part, that's the specific matchup. To go with the storyline, that's the specific matchup that could make this a ball game. I just wonder, over the course of 60 minutes, what those body blows do to this Cincinnati team. Does it matter, or is there something encouraging? I mean, it's been a, quite a few months, but they, they did face Notre Dame. They, yeah. they faced... You know, some of the athletes at Alabama, I know Alabama's relentless with them. They're the number one seed for a reason. Cincinnati will have to be perfect for sure, yeah. but they have physically played against these teams. They physically matched up, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with Georgia in, in the Peach Bowl almost 365 days ago. There, there's got to be some encouraging signs yeah, from that. absolutely. And that's that's the reason why, like, I dial in, like, their ro the, the, the roster at Cincinnati – 
it's not Alabama's roster. It's not Notre Dame's roster. It's not Auburn's roster. But they have players that are more exceptional than guys on that roster. And I think that's important. And that's because they've been taught. They've been developed. They're also older. And, like, like if you get to take your pick, right? Like, you look at Hellums at Alabama. He's, he's really good. Makes a lot of mistakes. Do you take him or do you take Brian Cook in this football game, right? If you gotta, if you got to have a, your, your second safety, which one do you take? And that's a question that Cincinnati, at least they know who they are. And identity, we've talked so much on this show about identity. They know who they are. Now it's a matter of if who they are stands up to the test of time. I don't expect Cincinnati to do different things. I don't expect them to not have uh, Joel Dublanco in the game. I don't expect them to not have Darian Beavers in the game. I expect them to play that same crew that they've rolled with all year. Because if you lose, and this is, what is this, the old saying, you dance with the one that brung you, right? Like, we got here because of all these guys. We're going to, if we go down, we're going to go down shooting, and it's going to be with shooting with our guys. So it's going to be interesting. I think on the flip side of that, Desmond Ritter and if he's able to put stress on Alabama is going to be interesting. And realistically, like, I think Brian Kelly did a really bad job of this in, God, 2012 where he decided to line up Tyler Eifert out on the edge and just try to have him beat D. Milliner with 50-50 balls. But I do think with Alec Pierce, you're going to have to try some 50-50 balls. I just don't think it's the way that Brian Kelly did it in 2012, which is, I don't want to get into this all dumb, like all this weird shit, excuse me, weird stuff. But like, you have to have a better plan where you're working levels to make them expand so that you can create space. And I think that's what Cincinnati is going to have to do. But also, oh, by the way, Alabama has Will Anderson. And he's a monster. So, yeah. Fun fact, Brian Kelly will now be going up against Alabama all the time yes. in the same division. <laughs> um, so we have something to look forward to in coming years. Uh, yes, Will Anderson, if you have not watched him close up what are you doing and personal i don't know well I, I don't know how closely people have been watching alabama i think people you know we've talked about this they, that's they, crazy they watch bryce young they pay attention when the game gets close but let's talk about the alabama storyline yes let's, let's go big picture okay let's so go. this is goliath to david we've been talking about this and we weren't sure for most of this season we saw alabama eek past Florida and LSU and Arkansas and needing overtime to beat a 6-6 six and six Auburn team, we weren't sure that this is a vintage Nick Saban Alabama team. And it might not be, even though they're the number one seed. They might have obviously a high ceiling, but be more, more inconsistent on a game-to-game basis than we've seen. But we also saw them play the best game of the season against Georgia in the SEC champ game. They win 41-24 yeah. and caused us to rethink everything that we thought we knew about Georgia and literally go back to the drawing board and look at their schedule, say, well, why are we evaluating? Why do we think they have such a great defense? Look what Bryce Young did. Won himself the Heisman, first Alabama quarterback to do so. So this team just showed us a couple weeks ago what they are capable of, but we hadn't seen it at that high a level all season long. Will Anderson is their best player, even though Bryce Young won the Heisman. But that's what we're dealing with. Tons of talent on this team, but we really didn't see it come together until the championship game. But Nick Saban always seems to do this. These teams play so well when the season is on the line, when, the, when you're in that championship portion of the calendar. Well, it's, it's, it's in, I, I think that's an interesting element because what I see is a guy that's managing fragility. 
He's managing young players that aren't sure what to do. He's putting guys in position where they feel the most confident to maximize what they get out of it. And I do agree with you. Will Anderson's the best player on this football team. He's the most impactful player on this football team. And like we're dealing with a running back room that, I mean, quite honestly, is probably the worst running back room they've ever had. Is that crazy to say? Compared to what they typically have? Yeah. I mean, he, I think that's fair. I mean, he came in with what? Glenn Coffey and Mark Ingram, right? Like, that's what he yeah. he walked into that and just kept going and going and going and going and going. And and that's not a knock on any of these guys. Jason McClellan gets hurt. He loses his sort of gadget piece that he can use. Uh, we've seen Trey Saunders be hurt. We've seen these guys like they're uh, Royce. Um, now I can't remember his last name, but we've seen all, all the guys have been a little bit banged up. Brian Robinson's been banged up. And none of them are – you think back to the room that they had two, three years ago? What, how many years ago was it that we saw Josh Jacobs, Najee Harris, and Damian Harris all in the same running back room? I think two years ago. Right. That was crazy. Yes. They're trying to get back to that. Obviously, they just took a transfer in Jameer Gibbs. Um, we'll see how that works out for them a year from now because he's incredibly explosive. But he's doing this with a team that he knows he can't treat like his old teams. He can't talk to them the way he talks to his older teams. He can't talk to them the way that he talked to Sean Robinson and Cam Robinson, the way that he talked to Cyrus Quanjo, the way that he talked to A.J. McCarron, the way that he dealt with, 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 with D. Milliner, the way he dealt with all those guys. He can't do that here. Landon Collins, he, 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 and I think the most crystallized example for me, Auerbach, is the way that he was able to, to deal with Vinny Sanceri, he can't deal with his safeties that same way. And so he is massaging the situation. I think this is probably one of his best coaching jobs that we've ever seen. And I think it's amazing to watch. And I think it's really incredible. And so the interesting part of this to flip it back, to flip it or flip it back, to flip it forward to the game. And I wrote this down. It's a Kanye. It's a Kanye quote. We're not big Kanye fans now. Used to be, not anymore. But what's a god to a non-believer? I thought about that because you had the god, the David and Goliath metaphor in there. So I went to like I'm. But what's a god to a non-believer? And I think Cincinnati in this football game, they have to be non-believers. They have to not care about any of the the lore, the rhetoric. They have to believe only in themselves to get the job done. And that I think also piggybacks on what Alabama did coming into the game against Georgia where everyone had already anointed that Georgia team, right? Yep. They're the best defense we've ever seen. And then Alabama was like, we don't believe in you at all. Let's go. And it worked. And for Cincinnati, I don't know that they have the pieces defense or excuse me, offensively to do it. And that's the biggest question mark I have about this football game. And so if we're going back to the cheat sheet, we need to see what Jerome Ford and Alec Pierce are able to do against this Alabama team. And if they can find a mismatch, you have to exploit it. But at the end of the day, I think Alabama gets a dub because of their ability to throw bodies at the problem. Oh, and by the way, you've got a coach that he's spent almost a month working on you and working on the other two teams. Let's go. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's flip to the team that we just said we were told was, you know, this, this great defense, behemoth. historical defense, behemoth, you know, that, that there were just, you know, every position essentially had a future NFL player. Like, it was just this otherworldly defense that we hadn't seen before. And they get crushed. They get crushed by Alabama in the SEC champ game. Still, I think we believe that there are dominant pieces in the defense, yeah. dominant defensive front specifically. Um, but, you know, I, I do think the way that Georgia lost to Alabama does – I think the question heading into this this game against Michigan is whether or not what we saw all season is Georgia or what we saw in the SEC championship game is Georgia. No? You disagree? No, I think both can be true at the same time. Okay, well, we have to see if, if other people can do what Alabama did or if that was a little bit of an aberration. Well, and that's, that's the, the problem is Alabama's – I mean, it's a, there's a handful of teams that can do what Alabama did offensively, right? Right. So that's – to me, that's – I think they both are true. I also think that Georgia is currently operating in the space that Alabama lived in from 2008 to 2014 or 15 where people are so scared to try stuff because they're so suffocating defensively. And this goes back to like, and, uh, but this goes back to the game of the century, right? Like that Alabama uh, LSU game mm-hmm. where the way that I kind of phrased that was Alabama's a boa constrictor in that time period. And that's what Georgia is right now. They suck the life out of you. They're not really that interesting or exciting offensively. But defensively, they make you have so many open frames, empty drives, that slowly you just, you have to quit because you're so beat up and your body hurts and you're tired. Yeah. And LSU during that same time period was death with a thousand knives. And you think about when they had like Mo, they had, uh, what was it? Um, Mo Claiborne, I almost said Mo Pete, that guy played, that's a basketball player, right? Morse Claiborne, and they had uh, Tyran Matthew, and they had all these guys that were making plays, and they got turnovers, and they were flashy. And Alabama now has turned into a lot more of a defense that's not – it's not that, to say that they're not dominant or that they're not good, but they are a defense now that they have a dedicated pass rusher in Will Anderson. They have Jordan Battle, who is going to find a way to impact this game. They have Helms, who's just – if you could get him pointed in the right direction, he could be the best player on the field on any given play. And they got, obviously, Henry Toto, who just finds ways to get guys down on the ground. And so 
they've become the defense that is, we don't have to, every play, we don't have to stop you at the line of scrimmage. We can give up some stuff, give up some stuff, but we're going to get a sack or we're going to get an interception or we're going to get a PBU or we're going to get this, or we're going to get that. And Georgia is still a team that, and I don't think that this is not right or wrong, but they're a team that's, we're going to play our scheme. We stick to our scheme. That's the part that's interesting to me going up against Michigan because assignment football is so important to what Georgia does. I don't, I, it's not that I don't know. I wonder how Michigan gets them out of phase, how Michigan makes them make mistakes because this team doesn't make mistakes. Even on the big plays by Alabama, those weren't mistakes. Those were space. And there's a completely different thing between mistakes and space. You create space and then you bend a little bit. That's not that the guy didn't do his job and he didn't cover you. What happens is, is that, there's too much space for him to cover. So now you've got to, you, you can catch it and you're just faster than him. And so you make a play. And that's the part that's going to be in- interesting. And I don't know if we want to take it to Michigan. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave the Michigan part off because I, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, and, and again, these are all tied together because this is who they're, they're up against. But you mentioned, you know, not being sure about George's offense. And yes. this is the question that has basically defined the Kirby Smart era at Georgia because we've seen great defenses. We've seen great defensive players. And we've wondered, does he have a quarterback that can win a national championship? And, you know, my my colleague covers Georgia for us at The Athletic, Seth Emerson, has said that, you know, the expectation remains that it'll be Stetson Bennett, a quarterback, and that even though Kirby Smart has, you know, kind of been elusive about, you know, what, what exactly his plans are, that that that's what he's expecting and he's and he's so plugged mm-hmm. in here but that is the question that is the question and and it's interesting because we will get into Michigan cuz that is also a question about Michigan more so than other teams in the play, right like does Michigan have a quarterback that can win a national championship right. so let's start there when you when you look at Michigan it either are the quarterback so either Michigan's defense putting pressure on on let's say it's it is Stetson Bennett or you know, the faith and trust that you have in, in Cade McNamara. I, so with Stetson Bennett, I'd like to see him move more. Like the, the benefit that he has, he cannot throw the ball as far as JT Daniel. He's not as accurate over 15 yards as JT Daniel. He can't do any of those things, but what he can do is move. So you can move the pocket, which gives your blockers a little bit easier angles, especially against a Michigan front between Hutchinson and Ajabo that has an opportunity to get pressure with four, you have to be able to move and change the picture. And I think that's important. You'd be able to run those draw plays, be able to slow down that pass rush in a bunch of different ways. I think that's important. But the other part of it for me, uh, to flip it over with, what is it, Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. And, uh, I mean, just, you got to make a choice, right? And it, And it's, Maybe are we, do you think that we're living in like, and I don't, I don't think it's a direct parallel, but in a world where like the same world of Jalen Hurts versus Tua Tagovailoa? I don't think it's to that extent. I, I think that the way that Michigan has used JJ McCarthy, I think it's been pretty smart. Obviously, he's had a couple of mistakes in key moments, like sure. like the Michigan State game, the fumbles, but yeah. yeah, but they but they've used him in a way where like he's he's clearly been involved in the game plan and prep and getting reps 
They've used him in the red zone. They've used his legs. They've let him air it out. He's got a huge arm. Yes. Um, and they've also, one of the things that is really hard to do in college football right now is to keep your backup quarterback happy and on your roster, right? Like, they've, they've also managed yep. that. So, I don't think, I, I think some of the chorus of, like, you know, should they be starting or playing J.J. McCarthy more, I think that died down towards the end of the season because, you know, Cade McNamara wasn't making mistakes. He takes care of the ball well. And he did, he, he did what they needed to to win their biggest games of the Harbaugh era against Ohio State and Iowa. So I don't know if it's necessarily there because I think he's part of it. But once they eventually, once he eventually takes over the offense, like it will be yeah. his offense. I just, but I, I think they've done a pretty good job managing it. But there might be a moment where you do need to, you know, see what happens and, and put the ball in his hand in that game. That's the that's the big thing. Again, going back to our kind of our cheat sheet idea, I think that he, he's going to have to be a part of this game for them to win. And it's a combination of being able to put Georgia in conflict uh, with his ability to run. And it, it's also his ability to put the ball out in front of receivers. And going back and watching Michigan games and I went back and looked at all of the like the plays, like the passing plays that had over 25 air yards. And when you go back and look at those, what you see are guys that should have touchdowns end up with 35 yard catches because McNamara, whether it's his an inability to push the ball out in front or a fear of missing on the throw, but you see them getting tackled as they catch or those passes being broken up. And that's a part, like, for me, as a former defensive back, I love that. Because the idea that you're going to throw me, if, if I'm beat by two yards, that should be a touchdown. But instead, you throw it where the wide receiver has to stop his feet, and I don't get, I, I can get back into the play to make a tackle to, to break up the pass. And, like, McNamara has some good moments. He does. He has some really good moments where he does put the ball out in front. I love the way that in the Wisconsin game, He's able to, to stop the receiver before he runs out of bounds. I think that was a beautiful throw. Um, but then I also, and it's, McCarthy doesn't have nearly as many because he doesn't have nearly as many reps. But when he pushes the ball down the field, he's more liable to miss wrong than he is to throw an interception. I think that's important. That's an important note on that. So especially if you're playing, um, if you're playing a defense that's dialed in on him coming down or coming down into the box, and you can get a guy behind. If Listen, if you're playing Iowa or Wisconsin and you've got guys up over the top, yeah, McNamara's going to – he's never going to contact those guys over the top. I mean, he, he'll, he'll be late on a wheel route, and guy will be wide open, he'll be late on that wheel, but he's not going to push it to where the guys over top have an impact on it. McCarthy sometimes is going to push it that far because he believes in his arm, but it's one of those things where they're going to have to make a choice. I also think that the ability to run is important. Because for all the talk about Jordan Davis, hey, man, N'Kobe Dean and Nolan Smith are out there hunting. And those dudes are filthy. And I, like, I love the way they play. I love the way they're running around. They don't this, – this is not Ohio State's defense, right? Like, this isn't, this isn't steel chambers and – Tommy, Tommy Eichenberg or Cody Simon, like this isn't those guys. These are guys who do their job every play. They know what they're doing. And you throw in Lewis Seen and you're going to have some problems. So it's going to be interesting to see how they attack. I think that the interesting thing is Michigan from a personnel package standpoint, 
the tight all those tight ends what they got three guys they like to use and how they use those and then i mean hell flip it over to the other side are we gonna get to see darnell washington do some stuff finally i mean dang that touchdown that he had in the sec championship game he looked like a like a giant and then we just never saw him anymore and obviously brock bowers is a quality player so I think that how Georgia uses James Cook, how they use Darnell Washington is going to be interesting, but also how Michigan works personnel packages to try to, one, take a page out of Alabama's book, which is keep Jordan Davis in the game, but still work tempo. That's going to be really important. And I think this is the game, and we don't see this very often, but this is the game they want to play. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the team they, they would pick to play. That Georgia would pick or Michigan would pick. Both of them. I think both of them would pick I, each other. That's So that's one of the things that I like about this one, too, because I think that they're built in a lot of similar ways. Yes. And they have a lot of the same strengths yep. and a lot of the same weaknesses and question marks. Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting, especially, as you said, you know, with almost a month to prepare for each other, you know, how you do this. And, you know, to, to, to put a bow on, you know, Michigan's season this year – you know, Aiden Hutchinson was a Heisman finalist. David Ujabo was really blossomed. This is someone who's not played football for, for that long. Mm-hmm. I did a story on him when he was a recruit. And he, like, maybe two years into learning the sport. And they're really blossomed. They're great. You know, they, they make a great bookend together and create they, – they just make life hell for, for opposing quarterbacks. And, again, this is something that, like, we've talked a lot about, you know – Georgia's defensive front, Georgia's pressure, pressure, uh-huh. Georgia's pass rush. And so, like, it's, it's interesting because I think they'll be able to replicate certain parts in practice. They'll be able to, to think about and conceive things. Um, you know, like, I, I remember after Michigan beat Ohio State, the offensive line talking about, you know, kind of some of the reasons that they felt they were able to control the game against Ohio State was, again, about the defensive line that they go up against in practice, right? right? And certain things you're able to work through. So I think all that's going to be going to be really interesting, and also seeing Jim Harbaugh at this stage. You know, it's it's rare that we've seen we have two new teams, Cincinnati and Michigan, two new teams into the four-team playoff. We're so used to seeing the same teams and the same coaches, and here we are. What are they going to look like? How are they going to handle this? I, I think we, we there was so much uncharted territory with Harbaugh in general. I think that week after beating Ohio State, heading into the Big Ten championship game, the way that they won that game. That was really telling. Mm-hmm. Like we hadn't seen Michigan under Harbaugh in this situation, but he has done. He he restructured his contract to stay, overhauled his staff, questioned the way that they did things all off season to get to this point. And so, just super curious how he manages it and how he gets his team ready. Because I think whatever they did after beating Ohio State and the emotional high of that to prepare for Iowa. You got to try to channel some of that, even though it's been a while. Hopefully yeah. people just didn't pat you on the back for three weeks. Well, I think, I think the big thing is him coming into this game saying, I want to score 40 points. That's a, that to me, whichever coach we see come into this game with this, with an aggressive offensive attitude is going to win. And that's the part I don't think enough people think about. If you come into this game thinking I got to score 40, it's going to take a, that's the number I need. I think that's the difference in this football game, because I think that's the difference with how you work your script. That's the difference with your sequential play calling. That's the difference with 
how you handle third downs. Like if it's third and 12 and you think you have to score 40, you're going to call a pass play. You're going to call a pass and you're going to try to get a first down. If it's third and 12 and you think you got to score 17, you're going to call a running play, a draw or something, and then be ready to punt and just that's that's your goal. So I think mentality for both of these teams coming in is important, and that's the reason why I said I think this is the game they all wanted to play because what we know of both of them, with very few exceptions, is they really like the idea of playing a 20-17 to football game. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So the next question I have for you, and we're going to leave some time to have a a meaty conversation (laughs) here, is we're excited to watch these games. Our jobs are to watch these games. We are scheduling our New Year's Eves around these games, but this is a year where the semifinals fall on New Year's Eve. They are going to essentially lead into the ball drop. I covered the first year that they had this happen. It was Michigan State, Alabama was the late game. Oh, yeah. It was a blowout. I was there. I was, I, you know, I think I was on the sidelines like when, the when it was actually, yeah, the cotton bowl when the ball dropped, you know, and people are celebrating. And the overall narrative was this was a disaster. This is not a day that people associate with college football or plan around college football mm-hmm. because usually you go out, you are doing something and you are not going to be home from three o'clock until midnight to watch college football games. The playoff moved. It's, They moved around what they could, and they said if a semifinal falls on a weekend on New Year's Eve, we will keep it. So this is a Friday semifinal. Michigan-Georgia is the late game, so this is the one that will lead into the ball drop and be more likely to affect people's plans. And Felder, I would like to just know how you think people who actually care about college football are going to approach this this tug of war of a holiday where maybe your significant other wants you to do something that is not sitting on your couch and watching college football. Well, here's the thing. And we got a lot of responses to this, which we're going to yes, get we to. asked people how they were going to do this, but let's, let's get your thoughts first. Just, if you want to watch the game, watch the game. I mean, there's a million different ways to watch it. You got a phone, you got an iPad, you got a laptop, you got a television. The television's going to be on at the bar. You can do whatever you want. I have, I've done everything you can do on New Year's. And this is, this is no, like, this isn't bragging. It's just a fact. I've done everything that you can possibly do on New Year's. It all mostly sucks. It ends up with your girlfriend crying or you're crying or somebody, is, somebody gets locked out of the hotel because they lost their key. It's, it's, it's amateur hour. It's, it's overpriced amateur hour, which we'll get to in a little bit. But what I would say is, Figure out the thing that works the best for you. And that means if it's staying at home, stay at home. If it's going to a a party, make sure you're safe. Designated driver, you know, be smart. If it's going to a club, make sure they got the TV on. That's all. 
They all got televisions there. Watch it. It's all good. But I think it's I think it's just realistically, if you got a dog in the fight, you're probably going to be sitting at home, right? I think so. I think so. And I also think that it shows a maturity about the holiday. Yes. Because this is always the most overrated holiday of the year. Thank you. You always think that it's going to be great, right? Like I'm going to get a cool, I'm going to get a great dress. I'm going to spend the money to buy this overpriced ticket to this place that I I either would never go otherwise or go all the time, but then they just jacked up the prices. But you're always like in my experience, and I've worked a lot of New Year's because I've heard a lot of bowl games. But in the years that I haven't, I the the best part let's, of the night go, has been let's, like let's getting through, ready. Let's go through the list. Okay, you've done a house party. Done a house party. You've done VIP. I've done uh, like lo- loose VIP. Loose. Okay. I've like done, I, I would say, I would say I've done. So I went to a, um, I went to a. Like 1920s themed Gatsby New Year's party. Yes, but it was at a bar in Brooklyn. So it was very like, <laughs> you could picture this. Like a warehouse in Brooklyn, multiple levels, and you had to wear like Gatsby type stuff. Yes. No TVs, no current music. I thought it was actually a huge disappointment. It cost like $100 to get an Uber to get back to Manhattan. Yeah. But I've done the wide range. Like, I, I rent it out. Everything is usually like a full rented out space. Okay. You're. I've worked a lot of New Year's Day bowl games. Like you're, you're acting like I've had a lot of New Year's, but I will say, one of the best ones I had was 2019 into 20, which was I went to Tahoe with my friend went skiing. We came back. She lives in San Jose. Walked down the street to her local bar, had one glass of prosecco at midnight. Walked home. Went home. It's good. Yeah. That was the perfect one because this is an overrated holiday. So theoretically, this shouldn't be that much of an issue. Right. That there's college football. Shouldn't be. Problem is, every year people, it's like your brain forgets that this is an overrated holiday that's never as fun as you think it's going to be. The most fun you're going to have is getting ready, listening to music, putting on your makeup as a girl. Like that's the most fun of the whole day you're going to have. But you convince yourself that you got to have a plan. Yeah. Every time. I know. I, because I actually think New Year's Day is the holiday, not the eve, the day. It's a better holiday. It's a much better holiday. Eat good food, health, wealth, luck, boom, knock it out. But I just, I've look, Albrecht, I've done house party, VIP, rent. My one of my good friends from from high school and college, his parents when he came back from Hong Kong for New Year's rented out an entire bar. That was our New Year's party. We did that on New Year's. What did it, what happened at that party? Oh, my girlfriend decided to get buck wild and we had to go back to the hotel room. By the way, booking a hotel room on New Year's, insane. It's so expensive. Um, one, one year we did every flavor of Andre's. You know, you're familiar with Andre's? Yes. How many flavors are there? I think I've only had like two. Oh, there's a lot. Peach passion. There's the brute, the extra brute. There's this duck, which is bad. There's, there's like eight flavors of Andre's. They're not good. Um, I've done it single. I've done it dating. I've done it as a married person. I've done everything you could do on New Year's. And what I found is I really enjoy. Je- oh, and you, how's your dog with fireworks? He's fine. He okay, grew up good. in New York City. Uh, He's good with noise. Perfect. Good. And my dog is so old. He does not care. Probably can't hear him. So, but it's just, it's a lot. So 
Let's go through some of these responses because we've got a lot of people okay. that are giving a lot of things. They're serving us some energy. There's a lot of people that agree with us that it is an overrated holiday. We got some it other people. We got a couple people, correct, couple people that said they're going to be at the Orange Bowl. They're actually going to be there in person. So let's go through so some of these. We asked if you care about both, like if you care about New Year's and you care about college football, what are you doing? What are your plans for Saturday? By the way, didn't get a ton of responses. Like we got a bunch. But I don't know if a lot of people will realize that this is going to conflict with watching meaningful games until we get to Friday. Yeah. Like casual sports fans will not realize this until we get closer because you're still in the post-Christmas haze. Um, so we've got some Michigan fans, which understandably are sure. planning their day around this game. They have not been in the playoff yet. So we've got some Zingerman's Delivery homemade kit that is brilliant and okay. very michigan i really like that one we've got house parties where you're gonna watch um maybe some transitioning to the ball drop after the game but basically this is going to replace what would normally be on tv again house party is the way to do it you're with people you like it's not too crazy loud and you can control the tv yeah. so that's what i would recommend for anyone who wants to watch these things but I would say, let's see, we've got some house rentals, back patios. No one's going to, yep, see, every place jacks up their entry fee. Thank you, Kyle Murphy. <laughs> um, oh, Troy Allen says that the games being on are actually going to help him stay awake because he would normally fall asleep, fall asleep on New Year's Eve. Have you ever then missed New Year's Eve? Cheap champagne. Good question. I don't think so. I don't think so. When I was a kid, we used to go skiing, mm -hmm. and we used to have, like, sparkling apple cider, which, by the way, sparkling cider slaps. It's so good. Still when's the, so when's, good. The, when's the first time your parents let you have champagne instead of the sparkling cider? Um, I don't think they have physically ever given me champagne. I've had it at weddings that they have been attended to, but <laughs> I have not. Like, they did not give us champagne. I think I was, I think when I was 14, my grandma was like, he can just have champagne. It's fine. One glass. I, right. It's also, like, again, the sparkly cider tastes better than the champagne. Oh, yeah. I, I've got a bottle of Vuv, and I'm like, I don't, I'm not looking forward to drinking this. Put, uh, do you do the, do you put fruit in it to, like, take away some of the acidity? My wife likes it like like a, that way. Like a raspberry. I think it looks cooler that way, too. I'd rather, so have, a, I'd rather have a shot of whiskey. Well, yeah. that's on brand for you. Yeah. I, I, I will have, I, I don't mind champagne every once in a while, like, can't have it like it twice in one week it would be too much yeah because you're gonna get ahead but but we do have so we have some people who are gonna you know pop some bubbly after the games um like we got it. some michigan fans that are not, basically just care about the football game i, I listen We've i'm got, gonna go i'm going with i'm going with kelly b i have dinner plans but may fake a covid exposure if the georgia michigan game is close I mean, you can watch it on your phone, Kelly. I, I mean, I dig it. Shout out to Voice of Reason, Brock Reese. Uh, in, he's going to be in the Orange Bowl. Uh, and shout out to David Cook. We, are, we, a Michigan family, have a new board in the house. We'll probably watch the first quarter of the Orange Bowl on TV, spend the second and the third quarter trying to get him to sleep, and then try desperately to stay awake for the fourth. That's, that is very strong new parent energy, and I, I mean, respect that. We've got someone who is just going to be on the West Coast, so they are not going to run into the issue yeah. of this running into midnight. 
Uh, JD Moore, Sun Bowl, maybe in the morning, watching games from a Mexican cantina during the afternoon. There you go. I like that choice. That's strong. There's, I think we're, I think obviously we're self-selecting. Like these are college football people. Yeah. But I, I like the energy. I like the energy. They all seem to have the right approach to the overrated holiday. Yes. Which is prioritize the football if your team is in it, then... Or even if you just care that it might be a better game, might be more entertaining than dinner. You're gonna, Go with that. Exactly. You're going to have more fun doing this than, than being jostled around by people where you might also get COVID. <laughs> yes. So Totally agree. So, totally agree. And, and it's important. You need to be somewhere quiet enough. Quiet, if, and quiet enough. Can't speak. That you don't need to hear the announcers. Like You don't need the sound on. But you need to be able to think about the game. Like, you need to pay attention. Yeah. And you don't want music blasting, which is, again, house party or sitting on your couch. Have some nice drinks. I'm going to make, like, a nice dinner. That's yeah. what I've decided. Like, cook, have some nice wine, something like that. I'm not covering a semifinal, so I will be enjoying it. Like, I know, you're like, welcome to, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. Welcome to the party, um, pal. So, anyway, keep tweeting us how you're going to celebrate Celebrate the football and tolerate New Year's as we go Perfect. the rest of the week. Felder, let's get into our flavor of the yes. week. This is our segment where usually we talk about cooking. I know that you don't want to talk about you cooking go for first. this week. Okay. All right. So this is where we talk about our someone we like on the field, something we like that we made. I made a delicious uh, appetizer for Christmas Eve, and it was half-baked harvest. Shout out. She makes great comfy comfort food mm-hmm. cozy very like tasty stuff it was a it was, i made a blueberry baked brie pastry it, w- it was supposed to be cranberry and i will say one of the problems with uh not planning this out in advance was that my mom didn't have cranberries and everyone bought out the stores of the cranberries because they needed to make cranberry sauce yep. which we weren't we didn't need to make but i, I needed I the cranberries for this i got a pound of cranberries in the freezer Oh, of course you do. Of course you do. Um, I struggled, went to a couple grocery stores, couldn't find them. So, you know, audibled, got blueberry instead, made it, you know, you kind of make like a jam, Mm -hmm. you make a sauce on the stove and it, you know, all that. But then you put it on the brie and then you fold the pastry over and you bake it. And I think the blueberry was better than the cranberry would have been. I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was an amazing taste. I think any berry would work, but... Blueberry ended up being great, and I think it's important to think about this sometimes because I follow recipes to a T. So I'm thinking, like, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what they intended. This is the original. And if we were going to go by that for the playoff, we would have expected and assumed that it would be Ohio State Mm -hmm. in the playoff. Like, they would be the Big Ten rep. You know, they were going to be there, and we really thought that up until, you know, they lost to Michigan, and Michigan got their spot. So Michigan is the blueberry they're literally, they go blue. They went blue. They went for the blueberry. And you know what? It was better than the original recipe. This was a better team this year. And shout out to blueberry and brie. Phenomenal yeah. combination. It was like a kind of like a galette, like pastry yes. wrapped around. Okay. I like it. Yeah. But not a, not a full, like it was, it's a four corner, like it's a sheet. So you just do like the four corners, nice. fold it in. I dig it. Everything overflows. Delicious. I dig it. Um, for mine, I'm going to go away from food this time for flavor of the week. And I'm going to go with, with kicks of the week, kicks of the day, if you will, shoes, uh, for people that are not that into it. And, uh, the moon fossils come out tomorrow. 
Uh, they are Jordan Dunks for women. They are black and gray. Uh, anyone that's ever seen my wife knows that she wears basically black and gray every single day. And I'm trying to get her to stop wearing the Jordan 1 shadows that she has. So I'm going to have to hustle hard in the morning to get these moon fossil dunks that she can interchange with them so that she's not wearing down these Air Jordan 1 shadows. And I thought about it a lot because if you're not a participant in the sneakers market, then you don't know what it's like to chase down a sneaker. But I related it to Cincinnati because when you're in sneakers world, it's chasing the elusive beast of winning on sneakers. The odds are stacked against you. Nobody else wants you to get them. The world is completely set up for you to fail. And I think for Cincinnati, that's what they're walking into against Alabama, where everybody expects Alabama to win. The odds are stacked against them. The roster is stacked against them. And they have to find a way to overcome these insurmountable odds to try to get a win in this playoff game. And to me, that is my entire existence with sneakers is knowing when I wake up in the morning, knowing that in an hour and a half, my alarm's going to go off at 845 and tell me that the shoes you want, they're about to come available. You're never going to get them, but here they are. Why don't you go for it, my guy? And since he is, they're basically playing sneakers right now. We'll see if they get a dub. I think it's going to be interesting. Just side note, because a lot of the stuff when you talk about sneakers, like it's like a foreign language to me. Uh, why? Do, like, there's no other way to get this stuff. No. These shoes. I mean, you could buy it aftermarket, but they mark them up. You know, I don't want to spend an extra one hundred dollars. This is literally the only source to get. This is so dumb. This does not make sense. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a it's a, a terrible economy to be a participant in. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But I participated it even... in it. Okay. All right. I, I mean, well, that's actually honestly that's how a lot of us feel about the way that the fourteen playoff works as well. So this see? actually is like the per- it's, perfect it's a parallel. direct parallel, right? Like it's perfect parallel. Like I I literally I haven't I haven't got sneakers that I've wanted in based on the actual app. Haven't got sneakers that I've wanted. Not one time this single year. And how often do you go through this exercise? <sighs> At least twice a month. Oh my God. Yeah, you just lose every time. The last sneakers that I won were the MA2s that I got for last summer. And then I won some shoes for my wife, but those weren't draws. And I just can't, you can't get, it's just impossible. It's a, it's a joke. It's a fool's errand. Anyone that knows sneakers knows it's a fool's errand. It is what it is. Um, Let's go to last call. I want to get to last call because I think this one is important. I am, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the national championship. Yep. I'll see you there. I'm looking forward also to seeing uh, Roddy Jones and Stephen Hartzell, uh, Roddy with ESPN, Stephen Hartzell with Learfield. And we have a bet that we have to settle. And I think this is a, I think doing it on a bigger platform to help settle this is important, but does Rutgers count as a bowl team? Yes. Okay. Where do you where do you where where are you on this? Did I you say no. I said yes based on obvious the obvious technicality, but if you make yes. if you make a preseason bet that Rutgers will be a bowl team, do you win that bet? I would be fascinated to see how that was determined. <laughs> but what I would say is yes because if there had been an extra spot on bowl selection day and they'd plugged in five and seven teams, we wouldn't even 
we wouldn't think twice. We would say that's a bowl team. Okay. Right? So it's it's the same scenario except it happened later. Sure. And in like two or three years, Gator Bowl will be the or the Rutgers people will be like, Oh yeah, remember the time we were in the Gator Bowl? Whatever. Like it will be I love it. It doesn't matter how they got there, it will just have been we played in the Gator Bowl. So yeah, I think it I think it counts. I think they're a bowl team. And again, I think if they had if it had happened on the day that they were assigning the bowls or there was, you know, Hawaii wasn't eligible or something and they slid up and they got a spot on day one, they would have counted and we wouldn't even have said anything that they were five and seven, that they shouldn't have been there because we've seen it happen so many times. We've just never seen it happen this way. So, yeah. And in five years when the Rutgers alumni that I know are going to be like, remember the year we made the Gator Bowl? Yeah, it's a great story. It counts. I love it. I dig it. I, I Listen, I think that's like this reminds me of the last call when it's you and a friend and the bar is closing. They're telling you that you have to leave and you're like, one more thing, one more thing. And we, you focus it. You know what I'm talking about where you just focus it on that one last discussion that you have to have. And I think this is it. I, I absolutely love it. Folks, make sure you subscribe. Uh, Theathletic.com slash Nicole. Come on. Yes, you can get a special deal on annual subscription. We've got deals right now, $24 for 12 months. So be sure to check it out for the year-end deal. Thank you for listening to Power Hour. One True Pod will be on this feed later this week. Max Olson, Jason Kersey, Sam Kahn. We'll have a full playoff preview with all of our beat writers on site for those games. Andy Staples, Ari Wasserman, they'll be on the feed later this week, up to their usual antics. And Felder and I will be back next week for the next episode of Power Hour. Thank you for listening.